catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. It is Drew here with Josh. Connor is away at his cottage enjoying a much-needed summer vacation, so Connor will be back with us next week, but he's getting this week off again, so the man who edits and is on the podcast getting some much-deserved time off. So it's just Drew and Josh here again throwing it back to the original setup, and it's been... uh, it's been a fun, eventful week in soccer with some Euro action going on. We had a pretty phenomenal knockout round game today between Spain and Italy, so that was pretty cool. And England, Denmark, and ready. But in the middle of all that, uh, even Copa America semifinals, I think Argentina is playing tonight. So in the middle of all that, though, MLS was going on. We had a lot of games. Um, it's been a while since we've talked. We had some unfortunate timing situations between work international friendlies and just life in general so it's been a little bit since drew i i have talked with josh i don't know why i just referred to myself in the third person um but it's been a while so josh how's the past uh, week been treating you how's work going how's life going for you it's been pretty good uh fourth of july was this past weekend and so just had a nice weekend with family nothing crazy um no fireworks or anything like that but you know, as you know, our beloved Hawks finally the magic finally ran out. Um, which it was disappointing the way they went out. Like I didn't want them to lose that game the way they did. Um man, and PJ Tucker, dude, every time he jacked up a shot, I was like, guys, when PJ Tucker finally makes a shot, it's over. And then he hit that corner three with like I think three minutes left in the fourth quarter, and that's when I looked at everyone. And I was like, guys, it's over. <laughs> So, but I'm super excited for their future. Like, I think I said this on the last podcast, but I've never cared so much about basketball. So that's been really cool. Um, but yeah, that and, and work, uh, like you said, the Euros are going on right now. And so I've been, uh, watching as much of those as possible. But other than that, man, it's been, it's been a long time since I've worked this consistently, I guess, since the pandemic. So getting back into the swing of working and like, taking advantage of free time outside of that has been a bit of a, a transition for me. Cause like now that I'm thinking about it, like to me, it feels like nothing has changed since we last recorded an episode, but also I can't believe it's already July 6th. It feels like we're going to hit Christmas time in like a month. So like time is flying by for me. Uh, but how have you been drew? Like you hinted, you got, you got to cover an international match this past week. I saw your new profile picture on Twitter with the, uh, was the what, what ball was that that they were using? I have no idea. That's a great question. Actually, it's cool. It's awesome. It had like Mexico colors on it, right? I think so. It was a Mexico game. They played Panama. So I'm gonna pull how, it. How up. was that game? That was uh, Mexico's basically their Olympic team, wasn't it? Uh, it was like the U23s and then a couple those couple overage dudes. Yeah, uh, Ochoa was in goal, so that was obviously a huge deal. But yeah, that game was awesome. Um, got to work international game, so that was kind of a cool moment. Don't get to do that a whole lot. Um, they were in Nissan Stadium. And they just needed a hand, so they got some of us to just help out do some stuff. Us, uh, so that was really cool. I got to be um, 
I was a stats runner was my official title, but the thing is stats don't really need to be ran anymore. It's all digital. So I was just like hanging, hang, handing out meal vouchers to media members like, hey, here's this, go get some food. That's where you sit. And that's it. And they got there like an hour before the game started. So until then, I was just chilling. And then after that, uh, I just got to watch the game. And I got to go in the stands a little bit, got pretty close when Mexico scored a goal. And as you, as much like Atlanta United games in the supporter section, I left covered in beer, smelling like beer, in like this nice official polo. I'm walking back up to the press box. They're like, what the heck? I'm like, sorry, guys. Um, but no, it was awesome. Uh, Nashville, it's been great. As MLS games are kind of cranking back up, having you know, this midweek and the weekend games, it's been pretty hectic, but it's been awesome. Like you said, the Hawks going down, but that was an awesome run. Excited to see. What they got uh, in October, and signing Nate McMillan, thankfully, to a four-year deal, so hopefully they'll be there for a while. I guess now, really, it's just the Braves, which has been incredibly disappointing, and then we get the Falcons, which is going to be even more disappointing. So the Hawks were our only hope, and it was a fun run, but unfortunately that ended. Stanley Cup Finals going on, which Connor could probably talk more about. Um, yeah, Euros, Copa America, see if Messi can carry Argentina to win something finally. I feel like we've said that about a million times, but maybe this year will actually be the year. Um, but yeah, it's been a busy week, but it's been awesome. Fourth of July, it was actually, Nashville had the biggest fireworks show in the country, or at least so they said. And it was pretty cool, traffic sucked, but it was pretty cool. Got to see a lot of fireworks, so that was good. Um, Where were the fireworks shot off at, like? downtown or like over the river or yeah they were shot so this is what makes it really annoying they were shot from nissan so about two weeks before the actual shooting of the fireworks they closed off like certain roads in nissan to get i guess firework trucks you know in and out dropping stuff off and getting to the stadium was a major pain um so that was annoying and then but that should be done by now I hope it's done, but about for two weeks before the actual fireworks, the city just forgot how to function. It was terrible, and Nashville's already a pretty crowded place, but yeah, they shot it from pretty downtown, so we went to a park and got away from all the craziness. They had a couple country artists perform, because that's Nashville's thing is country music, but it was really cool, Um, but yeah, so we had... Some fun, fun week, couple, it's been a little bit since we've talked last, and since we've talked last, we had some North Americans abroad, kind of, um, obviously in the summer, so we don't have players playing, you know, for their club teams in Europe, um, but still, there are some players getting transferred and all over the place, we're going to start with Conrad De La Fuente, uh, we haven't talked about him a whole lot on the podcast, as he just goes by Conrad now, uh, he was at Barcelona, I think he played for Barcelona's B team, but he's transferred from Barcelona to Marseille, um, which is pretty big deal i think i'm just mainly excited to see hopefully this gets him some more minutes josh what do you think about conrad transferring from barca yeah that's just the biggest thing man regular first team playing time because like you mentioned he spent a lot of time with barcelona b and obviously that can only help him so much in his development and he he came really close to getting first team minutes kind of felt like we were going to see more of him this past year than we ended up seeing. So yeah, I'm just really, really glad that he's going to go to a team where hopefully he can get consistent, you know, first team playing time because that's what he needs at this stage in his career. Um, I, you know, I don't know how much he'll benefit from being in a side like Marseille. You know, they, I don't know how they finished this past. They season. finished in that. fifth, and I think that means they get um, Europa group stage qualifying okay good so hopefully they qualify well and uh, conrad can get some uh, some european playing time because that'll be even better um because you know players like him and guys like uh uli Yanez, um a couple other players who i'm blanking on right now um th- those guys they need first first team minutes or else they're gonna fall behind um you see some of their counterparts from that squad, like Serginho Dest, who's already started to find first-team minutes. Um, Paxton Pomacol, before his injury, he, he was seeing a lot of first-time minutes. Um, there are a lot of players from that squad that have kind of taken the next step, and, and a player like Conrad hasn't yet. So, yeah, I am excited for the potential from this because 
you know, we saw what happened with Tim Weah when he got consistent time in league on and definitely hoping the same for, for Conrad, but he's not the only one with European interest, I guess I'll say in order to uh, transition into this, but we've got a couple MLS teenagers, American teenagers that are, are getting strong interest from overseas, specifically Italy, which I never would have thought was a realistic option before Weston McKinney's transfer. Uh, Because it was so rare for Americans to play in Italy. But two players. First one, uh, Sporting Kansas City midfielder John Busio, who has been playing very well this this season um, in MLS for Sporting Kansas City. He's getting a lot of interest from some Serie A clubs. According to uh, Tommy Scoops, Tom Bogert at MLSsoccer.com, John Busio has already reportedly agreed to a $6 million transfer with uh, Serie A side Sassuolo. That's how you pronounce that, too. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so apparently this deal has been agreed to. Obviously, that means it could be agreed to, and they could be waiting for the right time to finalize it. Um, maybe Busio hasn't agreed to personal terms with Sassuolo quite yet, so you never know. And then the other teenager reportedly on his way to Serie A, and I would say this is a lot more concrete because he did not even make the game day roster for Dallas this past weekend, but midfielder Tanner Tessman, he is apparently on his way to uh, Venezia, which was uh, recently promoted this past season from um, Serie B and Serie A, and so that's also a team with American ownership, so there's a bit of a link there. Uh, which of these two, so let's assume Busio goes to Sassuolo, let's assume Tessman ends up going to Venezia, which you never know. We saw how uh, complicated it was for Brian Reynolds to get his move to Italy from MLS. Drew, which of these are you personally more excited for, Busio or Tessman? Yeah, you know, I think both of them are pretty exciting, obviously, in their own right, but I'm going to say Busio because I feel like every time talking about this guy it seems like this european interest was always well not interest but the desire and hope that he would one day go to europe i feel like has been there for a while and it's kind of been underperforming i i see a lot of ezekiel barco in him and that there was the potential of going to europe going somewhere bigger and it just never kind of worked out that way he just wasn't performing at the level i think a lot of people wanted him to perform and now it finally looks like it's going to happen, whether it does happen or not. Like you said, there's some other things that got to get signed off and crossed off and approved. Um, but it's exciting to see this finally happen for him. If you look at his stats, this year already is one of his better years. He has two goals and two assists. And before that, um, 2019, he had three goals and one assist was his best season. Um, in 2020, he had two goals and four assists, but those were in 27 matches appeared in. And he has two goals and two assists, and he's only played 13 matches. So this is trajectory. This is set to be the best season he's had at Sporting Kansas City. And it's looking like that's paying off with him going to Europe. Like, I think a lot of people wanted for this player. I'm exciting. I think he's only 19 years old. So there's a lot of potential and excitement around him. And it's finally looking like it's paying off. And I'm excited about it, obviously, playing in Italy, going to play against some really high competition and who knows from there um in Sassuolo where he's going to go from there but I'm excited to see him just get some minutes against some really top level players you know with Juventus uh, both Milan teams and whatever so I'm excited about Busio finally going to see him make the trip across the pond and it feels like this has been coming for a while but just he's not performed to the level that I think a lot of people expected him but now um really good start to 2021 so I'm excited to see him finally do it Josh which one of these are you most excited about, out of Busio and Tanner Tessman? You know, it's it's easy to pick John Luca Busio, and, and obviously you were just talking about him. Um, I do want to add that, you know, you're absolutely right. I think the biggest thing for him, though, this year is he's just become a more consistent player. And, you know, you can see where he's gotten a lot more solid in his game. Um, and, I, and I think he will do well. And like you said, this has been a long time coming for Busio. I, I believe he's of Italian heritage, and I think he has an Italian passport. So it's like he's been destined to go to Serie A. It just hasn't worked out yet. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm also really intrigued by Tanner Tessman. He hasn't even gotten a full season of MLS yet because his uh, first season with the team technically was last year. And I'm not really counting that because the pandemic just messed with everything. Um, and I don't know how much you can take away from a player's development in a pandemic season. Um, obviously, he, he got a lot of minutes and he even got his first cap with the U.S. men's national team back in, I want to say December, 
maybe January. Um, but I'm more interested in seeing how Tespin does with the team that's newly promoted because more often than not, teams that are newly promoted, they really, really struggle with staying promoted. Uh, a few of them, they get relegated again. Uh, obviously, you know, you don't want to see that happen with Tessman and a team he's just joining. It was, you know, for example, Reggie Cannon, also from Dallas. It was not fun, like, knowing that he was with a struggling team in Portugal and Boa Vista who came very close to getting relegated. Maybe they did get relegated? No, no, they just came close. So hopefully Tessman doesn't have to deal with something like that, uh, being at Venezia. So definitely really interesting for both those players. These are also both players that are trying to break into the U.S. men's national team and what is now becoming a very crowded roster. Um, so hopefully these guys can get that stuff sorted out and uh, thrive over in Italy. Again, not something I ever thought I'd say. I really never thought we'd be getting American players over in Italy, but very exciting nonetheless. Uh, so bringing it back to MLS, or keeping it in MLS, I should say, in the last two weeks... Since we've recorded, there have been some pretty big moves in the league in the um, upper echelon of management, we'll say. The first big one, San Jose fired their GM, Jesse Fiorinelli. Uh, this happened, I believe, about a week and a half ago. Uh, Matias Almeida and his coaching staff are still in place. Uh, Fiorinelli lasted, I think, two and a half seasons, three and a half seasons. He oversaw both playoff appearances, uh, the one in 2017 and now the one in 2020 this past season. Uh, Drew, my big question for this is, do you think this will have an effect on their season? Do you think this will save their season? I don't think so because I view GMs as obviously very important in the organization, but it feels like for the GM's job to get done and he gets to do whatever he wants to do, which if I'm not wrong, I haven't heard if they have announced who is replacing Fiorinelli, so that's a totally different process. Um, but yeah, for me to thinking about what a GM does, it takes a lot of time as far as signing players, getting you know the coaching staff is remaining the same, so they don't really have that hurdle to jump through. But I always view a general manager's job as signing players, which takes a lot of time, um, a lot of communication with the coach, figuring out how the coach wants to play, and then executing it, whether it be, you know, just finding the players that he wants and that he needs, and then you have to deal with, you know, wages and transfer fees and the salary cap and all that stuff super important in this league because you can't just spend all willy-nilly. You have to really make good of the money that you spend, right? Because you can't just pull a New York Yankee, spend a ton of money, win 27 World Series or something like that. Those you have really have to hit home on these DP signings and some TAM signings to do that. And so I don't think it's going to save... This season, um, the current 2021 season, I think you might start to see the effects of this later in a couple of years because it takes time for newly acquired players to mesh with the team, join the team, perform well with the team. And then he has to deal with players leaving. So he has to deal with getting transfers in, sending players out that maybe aren't the right players, aren't the right fit. So because of all that, I think it's going to take a lot of time um, for San Jose's new GM to get acclimated and really make his mark on the club. So I don't think it's going to save their season. And they're currently in 11th, so I don't think there's a whole lot of hope for San Jose. Josh, do you think this will be this will this save their season now, or do you think this is more of a long-term thing where the club will see the positive impacts of this maybe in a couple years? Yeah, so like you were alluding to and, and saying, you know, a GM position, a technical director position, you know, whatever you want to call it, that's definitely a long-term move. And these are certainly effects that we won't feel for a while. Um, and we are feeling now, especially San Jose fans, the effects of Fiorinelli's decisions in the years leading up to now. And we are seeing that this is a squad that is just not capable of competing at the top in MLS. Um, and you can say it's Almeida's man-marking system, or you know, you can say it's the players, and both definitely play a hand. I'm still of the mind that it's the players that aren't quite good enough. And, you know, you can point to before Almeida, right? The team was not good before Almeida. And part of that has to do with Jesse Fiorinelli. And a lot of the players that are being brought into San Jose definitely feel like they're Almeida-influenced decisions, not so much Fiorinelli-influenced decisions. Another important thing to think about with this decision is Fiorinelli used to be an, an agent. And he is um, 
part of... He worked with Roma before, didn't he? Did I read that right? Yes, yes. And he's he was a hiring made on the recommendation of a consulting firm that MLS teams have been using. Uh, this consulting firm is doing a terrible job of setting teams up with um, with their technical directors and GMs. Um, I need to go back and find it real quick just to make sure I say the right teams. Uh, but the the this consulting group or whatever is responsible for you know now San Jose. Um, they're responsible for I think Cincinnati. Um, let me find it. Oh yeah, Chicago, Cincinnati, and Vancouver, which not great, not great teams. These are not teams that have made the playoffs in the last few seasons. These are teams that are regularly at the bottom. Uh, if you lose to any of these teams, it's super embarrassing. <laughs> Atlanta. Um, so I hope San Jose doesn't go back to this consulting group because that's not a good idea. Now, one thing that's curious um, that I'm curious about with this decision is Almeida and his coaching staff, their contract ends at the end of the season. And every single offseason, Almeida is linked to a national team job or a job in Liga MX. Like there have been teams that have wanted to pry Almeida away from San Jose, but he has stayed committed to the project. My last question for you, Drew, before we move on to the other big move, do you think firing Fiorinelli keeps Almeida in San Jose? Hmm. I, Ooh, man, I didn't think about that. Does it keep, I'm going to say no. I don't think I think he was going to leave regardless because I think he's kind of exhausted by what he's had to do in San Jose. And although bringing in a new GM sounds good, and if he has a say in the decision, maybe that might keep him. However, like we've been talking about here in the last few minutes, a move for a GM, it takes years most of the time to see the fruits of the labor from that GM. And I don't know if Almeida's willing to stick around and be stressed out because he, he loves the game too much. And I feel like being in San Jose is kind of sapping him of his energy and passion for the game, which nobody wants to see. So I personally don't think he's going to last past this year. Yeah, so I'm looking at his manage, manager career and his longest stint would be, his longest stint was at Guadalajara and he was there for four seasons which if he were to leave after the season, this would be four seasons with San Jose. Um, we managed, yeah, he joined 20, 2018, 2019, 2020, if you want to count that, and then 2021, three or four seasons, wow. if my math is right. Um, feels like it's been... Wait, no. Don't count 2018 because he signed in like November or December of 2018. Okay, so we'll say like 3.2 seasons. He... This is his third season. I wouldn't count. I wouldn't count anything for 2018 because he he didn't coach any of those. So games. he's been with the club for three seasons, which still, I mean, that's about what he does. He managed River Plate for a couple seasons. Um, so between that and just having to wait it out, and you imagine if he were to sign a new contract with the club after this season, it would be very. You don't know how many managers just sign one-year deals, especially with a new GM. I don't see the point of signing a one-year deal under a new guy and then seeing what happens the next season and then extending something longer. So signing a longer-term deal would make it his longest stint with the team and with a new GM. And like you said, it's been a rough stretch of time at San Jose. The team is just wild. They're winning game 7-0. They're losing game 7-0. So... It seems to be his kind of like a Tata Martino situation. He doesn't seem to stay in places very long. He likes to bounce around. Um, but between that and I think getting a new GM, I don't, I don't see Almeida sticking around, which sucks for the league because obviously, like you said, a lot of teams want him. He's kind of a big hire um, teams and national teams and league MX. Um, so I think, unfortunately, I think this will be his last season in Major League Soccer with a new GM. But we'll see what happens. What we don't have to speculate about, which we were speculating about a lot of the time, specifically our friend Connor was speculating, not really speculating, just crying out, wishing, wishing yeah, hoping, wanting. <laughs> wanting to happen. Uh, Chris Armas was um, fired from Toronto FC. We have on the dock fired from Red Bulls, but that was a typo. Oh, <laughs> that's, hey, that's still true. He was fired from this Red Bulls. This dock's a couple years old. also fired. <laughs> Also fired from Toronto. He was fired from Toronto FC after their 
seven to one loss to DC United over the weekend. Um, he's only had two wins in all competitions: one in Concacaf Champions League against Lyon, and then one in MLS. I totally forgot who they beat in MLS. But that Lyon win, that was pretty exciting. I remember, Connor, we were on top of the mood about Toronto FC, and then the world just fell apart. Um, so Chris Armas fired from Toronto. It's been a rough stretch for Toronto FC, um, pulling up the standings right now. They are currently in 14th behind Miami, Chicago, and Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yikes. So it has been as rough as it can get in Toronto with a new manager. So, Josh, we're not going to talk too much about this because I'm sure Connor is just boiling to talk about this. And probably getting some time away from the podcast was a good thing for him so we can collect his thoughts. But really quickly, what do you think this is What do you think this is going to do for Toronto FC in the short term before they, not talking a couple of years, but for this season? Because this team, I feel like, always has consistently high standards with always being you know MLS Cup contenders and going to the final. But what do you think this does firing Chris Armas does for the short term this season? Well, one, I think this is a way of Toronto FC and specifically general manager Ali Curtis recognizing that they made a mistake in hiring Armas. They also did not set him up for success in the roster moves they've made over the last couple of years, specifically that backline, which Connor would definitely... We, we could do a whole podcast on Connor just ranting about the center backs at Toronto. So we don't have to get in into that too deep, but that's obviously a huge part of why Toronto sucks so bad. Cause this is a roster with so much talent on it with, with Pasuelo, with Jefferson Soteldo, with Io Akinola. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And man, I mean, Armas was just doing the wrong thing with these guys. I don't like that. He tried to come in and switch up the system, but also he told the front office that that's what he wanted to do. And I understand if that's Ali Curtis's long-term vision, but make the correct roster moves to reflect that vision, right? Like, he, he didn't do that. So things are not being run very well in Toronto right now. Uh, Josie Altador is still trying to get out. Um, whether or not that's his choice, we don't know, but Ali Curtis has been very open in saying that he is trying to actively move Josie Altador. I doubt he gets moved because his salary is too huge, I think. And he's too injury prone to really garner up interest from any team outside of Toronto. So I don't really think this is going to save their season. Um, part of me thinks they have the talent. If they have the right interim coach, maybe like Atlanta, uh, Atlanta Hawks, right? This was a team that really strong in the roster, but didn't have the right coach. They made a midseason change. They end up going to the, you know, the final four teams in the NBA. Maybe something like that happens with Toronto because Again, this is a team that finished second in the East last year, was competing for Supporters' Shield until the end. The roster is not that much different, and you've made some good additions with you know players like Jefferson Soteldo. So firing him, you know, again, they never had to put him in place in the first place. I think it was a bad decision to hire Armas, and we've all been pretty clear about that. But save their season, I think it depends on the interim. Connor mentioned he wishes he wished. Um, back in the off season. And I think when we had um, Rachel on the podcast as well, they were both kind of hoping for someone internal, someone from the Academy, because then you get someone who understands the culture at Toronto, but will also be willing to play the young kids, which Armas has gotten away from or got away from. So if it's a coach, if it's a coach like that and in a room from inside the organization, I, I think I'll feel kind of good about Toronto saving their season. Um, but at this point, they are down bad, and they are very behind, very behind. The fact that they're behind Cincinnati should be extremely alarming to their fans, um, as if watching their team wasn't alarming enough. That's all I've got to say about Toronto. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Drew? Uh, not really, except I don't think anything's in the cards because this is a rough stretch, and they have five points from 11 games, and it's going to take a pretty major turnaround and trying to look at and then they have to deal with all the Canada stuff too, playing in Florida. Then people are still, plans are still in the air about moving back to Canada. So rough stretch, um, pretty confusing time for Toronto. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, didn't they also announce that they're moving back to Toronto like this week? They're all going back to Ontario. Uh, I did not see that. I hope so. But I know I, when I was looking at national It was schedules. definitely lost in the, yeah, it was definitely lost in the confusion. Uh, I don't even remember who said it or when it exactly was said. And I wish I had saved it. I don't know. 
I can't remember when they said they were going back to Ontario, but that should be happening relatively soon. So, Yes, uh, there's some pretty yeah, legit reports from pretty legit outlets. I don't know if it's beneficial. But yeah, the uh, Sportsnet, a Canadian media outlet, um, the Toronto FC president, Bill Manning, said he's optimistic that soon we'll be able to play games back at BMO Field. All right. Hopefully it's soon. They need it for sure. They need to be all the Canadian teams need to be back home, but Toronto needs it more than the others. Yeah. So maybe there's some positive light on that because it's been a rough stretch as they lost to DC United seven to one over the weekend. We'll talk more about that game from a DC United perspective in a second. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick ad break. And we are back here talking some MLS games like we just talked about. Uh, Chris Armas fired from Toronto after losing 7-1 to D.C. United. And that bumped up D.C. United suddenly to sixth place in the East. Um, D.C. United beating Toronto 7-1. Again, they barely lost to NYCFC. They lost 2-1 NYCFC. One of the better sides in the Eastern Conference, I think. Um, They're currently NYCFC is in fifth and D.C. United right behind them. Um, NYCFC has only played 10 games, so they have some games in hand on some people. But nonetheless, D.C. United playing close with really good teams and smacking some teams when they need to be smacked. And they drew Montreal nil-nil. So D.C. United, I think, has surprised some people. I don't know where exactly I had them in the standings, but it definitely wasn't sixth. So I know there might be some recency bias here with, you know, you win 7-1, to everyone thinks you're on top of the world. But... This, those are three points. That is a massive goal differential swing in their favor. They're at sixth. Do you think this win could spark something in D.C. United? And do you think D.C. will make the playoffs? There is one reason why I think D.C. United will make the playoffs, and it is the health of the squad. Because up until now, they have been devastated by injuries. It has been really bad, and part of it had to do with Hernan Losada's fitness regimen. Uh, part of it had to do with players just being out of shape anyway and adjusting to the new process that they've undergone. But it looks like DC are starting to turn a corner. It's no small feat that they are up in sixth now. Um, but also, they just look like a different team. They look like a team that is united and willing to fight every single second out on the pitch. And when you have a team like that, it's hard to lose, honestly, especially when everybody's pulling in the same direction together. And so the way I look at it is as players start to come back and get healthy, this team can only go up. So the fact that they're beating the breaks off of Toronto team, uh, they had a hard fought draw against Montreal. They only lost to New York City FC because of that last second counter and poor defending by, I think it was... Na- uh, Moises Na- Moses Neumann? Neumann? I don't know how to pronounce his name. Moses Neumann. That's how I'm going to say his name. Um, you know, he had some poor defending there in the last minute, and that's why NYCFC ultimately got that game-winning goal. Um, so they were really close to drawing NYC as well. So this looks like a team that's turning a corner. So I, that's why I think they're going to make playoffs. I think as they get healthy and, you know, the, the groundwork has been laid, so now you get to just build and build and build on top of results like this. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you um, because I think when you look at DC United, we just talked about the recent games, but if you look at the you know the larger picture of the whole season, this whole idea of being close with good teams isn't a new thing. Um, they lost to New England one nil, and it was because of an own goal. And you look at the stats, DC United was right in that game. The same thing with Philadelphia. Um, the same thing with Columbus. Uh, they even beat New York City FC. So they're right there with these really good teams. And then when they need to beat teams that aren't very good, they beat them. They beat Inter Miami back-to-back weeks. Um, they hung with Philadelphia, like I said. I mean, they had seven shots on target compared to Philadelphia's two. They lost that game 1-0. But still, DC United, I think, to your point, are hanging with these really good teams. Um, I think the Montreal result is honestly quite unfortunate because Montreal went down a man. And DC United had 27 shots in that game, five on target, and still didn't score. Um, so I think that was kind of disappointing, but still, I mean, those are points. And when I mean, you look at the Easter Conference, the Easter Conference to me is very lopsided, right? On some weeks, you're playing the Revolution, who, I mean, people are thinking, you know, MLS Cup contenders, really good side. And then other weeks, you're playing Cincinnati and Toronto. So the Easter Conference is very 
lopsided to me. You get some really good teams and pretty bad teams. And if DC United can scribe out some points against the good teams and beat up on the bad teams when they need to, I mean, there's no reason for me to think that they can't make the playoffs because I think you can unfortunately classify Elaine United with some of those really bad teams. But Columbus, what the heck's going on there? We really don't know. Montreal is right there. But besides that, I mean, I I don't know why I wouldn't think that D.C. could get in this 6 or 7 spot. I think if they do make the playoffs, it'll be around the 6 and 7 spot. Um, so who knows? I picked them to go 13th in the Eastern Conference, so this is definitely a shock on my predictions. But I guess one really quick question before we move on, Josh. If they do make the playoffs... Do you see them making a surprise run, or do you think they'll be a one-and-done team in the playoffs? I don't know. I think it kind of depends on what kind of run they're going on heading into the playoffs. I think if they've got momentum, they can spin that into a deep playoff run. I think if they're, you know, maybe they get hot this summer, and then they kind of sputter out down the stretch, um, and then I could see an early exit for sure. But I don't know. If I had to make a decision right now, I would say yes, they'd make a run because of, again, the way Losada has inspired his team and also just the way they're so fit now. I mean, they fight, again, they fight for everything and they make the game really scrappy and really messy, but that's how they want to do it. And against a team that is mentally weak like Toronto FC, they take advantage. And because this is MLS and so many teams make the playoffs, you're going to run into one or two mentally weak teams on the other side that's just how it is so yeah dc i could definitely see them making a run um but speaking of surprises that's probably the biggest surprise in the east so far as we um, get ready to head into a, a tiny international break we're gonna we've got games tomorrow night wednesday night um and the night night after that on thursday night and then a mini kind of 10 day international break for the league um but another team that is a bit of a surprise on the Western Conference side, Colorado. They are now up to fourth in the Western Conference standings. Uh, that is better than LAFC, Minnesota, Portland, um, San Jose, a, a lot, obviously a lot of teams. Um, and they're only behind you know, the, the big teams in Sporting Kansas City, Seattle, and the Galaxy. They are in the midst of a decent stretch of games. They drew 1-1 to Seattle a couple weeks ago. They lost to Sporting Kansas City 3-1, but they've now also, sorry, that draw with Seattle was this past weekend. I definitely misspoke there. Uh, but a couple weeks ago, they beat Cincinnati, beat Dallas 2-0, 3-0. my question is, will Colorado make the playoffs? And I wanted to circle back around real quick. Drew, you said, you know, if DC can beat up on the bad teams and hang with the good teams, they stand a good chance of making it. And it kind of feels like that's what Colorado has been doing. Hanging with Seattle, kind of hanging with Kansas city, beating up on bad teams like Cincinnati and Dallas. So do you think Colorado can make the playoffs again this season? Yeah, for sure. I think so. Um, the Western conference is kind of confusing. Like you said, there's that big three SKC now currently sitting atop the league, which is kind of, Wild to think because Seattle's still unbeaten, but nonetheless, Sporting Kansas City is atop the league, but they're tied on points, and Seattle has a game in hand. So how long that lasts, we don't know. Um, but yeah, I think Colorado will make the playoffs. I think there are some pretty high expectations around this team. I think if I remember correctly, both of us had them making the playoffs. I don't know if I had them in fourth. Let me let me check. I had them in seventh. So I definitely had them finishing in the playoffs. Um, so yeah, I think they will finish in the playoffs. Again, I mean, you draw Seattle, it kind of feels like you just did the unthinkable, right, with the way Seattle's been playing as of late. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they're good. They can, you know, we were talking about DC United, kind of feel like when we said stay close with the good teams, they were still losing those games. But as we saw with Colorado and Seattle, when we say stay close with the good teams for Colorado, that means getting a point against arguably the best team in the league. Now that sporting Kansas City performance was pretty bad, um, but that followed up uh, two wins in a row. They lost to LAFC, which who the heck knows what LAFC is going on. They beat up on Houston 3-1. They beat Minnesota. Um, they had a pretty confusing start to the season, though. They drew with Dallas 0-0. They lost to Austin 3-1. I think that was Austin's first win in their franchise history. So it was a pretty weird stretch of games for Colorado, um, especially now looking at how bad Dallas is, the fact that they drew them. Um, not looking too great for them, but they turned it around. They beat Vancouver, beat Minnesota, beat Houston. So they went three straight wins, losing the LAFC. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're getting points against really good teams. It's a pretty congested, 
you know, this part of the season, I think we were always talking about, well, what's the summer going to be like? How are their teams going to hold up in the summer with games on Saturday, games on Wednesday, and things like that? Um, and it seems like they're holding up pretty well, getting a draw against a really good team in Seattle. They got Minnesota tomorrow as we're recording this on Tuesday. They play them on Wednesday and in San Jose and Dallas again. So points are there for the taking. They're off to a really good start. It's just up to them. I think when you play these teams that you should get points against to actually finish the job. Get it. Don't let any weird slip-ups happen where you're losing to Dallas like the Revolution did the other day where they just lost to Dallas out of nowhere. Don't let that become a consistent thing because you're right there kind of in the heat of it. And a slip-up like that, losing points when you should be winning points, that could come back and bite you, I think. But I do think Colorado um, will make the playoffs. I think people were pretty high on them from the beginning, and they're kind of living up to the billing, I think, and more. I did not predict them to be as good as they are right now, um, but it's a really exciting time in Colorado. But on the flip side of that, as teams are surprising us in the league, making runs that no one really expected, there are some other teams who are making runs that nobody expected, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, not doing really good, specifically the Portland Timbers, Atlanta United, and the Columbus Crew, all three are below the playoff line. Portland coming off winning MLS's back last season. Columbus obviously winning MLS Cup in Atlanta. A really bad season, but there was a lot of hype around getting Joseph back, get new manager and Gabriel Heinze. And just, it felt like, I think, for Atlanta United fans, this felt like the return to the 2017, the 2018 season under Tata Martino, but it's not been that way. As they currently are in 10th, um, Portland is currently in 8th, and Columbus is currently in 9th. So all three are below the playoff line. Um, Portland and Atlanta are coming off pretty bad losses. Portland losing 4-1 to one to Austin FC and Austin. I think it was Austin's first win in that new stadium, which looks sick, by the way. So that was cool. Good for Austin, but Portland losing 4-1. to one. And then Atlanta United losing 3-0 to Chicago. Pretty rough, doesn't get much worse than that. I guess the only way it gets worse than that is losing 7-1 to to D.C. United. But, Josh, out of these three teams, out of Portland, Atlanta, and Columbus, which team are you most worried about, and why are you most worried about that team? I think I'm most worried about Columbus. And maybe that's just relative to expectations from literally everyone. <laughs> everyone has ever made a prediction about this league decided to put Columbus back at the top because there was no reason to believe they wouldn't be back at the top. Uh, but they just can't get it going. They just cannot get it going. And it's so unfortunate because I watched their, their game against uh, New England this past weekend, which great atmosphere in that stadium. That video of the whole stadium singing Wiseman was like, oh my gosh, I watched that video a million times. It was so cool. And I've never wanted to go to Ohio more in my life because I want to I want to go to both the new Columbus Stadium and the new Cincinnati Stadium. Um, but yeah, I mean, Columbus was playing well and they were. It felt like on the verge of breaking through and you know giving their fans a reward for you know coming to this first game in the stadium. But then New England just put two goals past Columbus pretty quickly in that first half. And they kind of felt like they were against the run of play. And, you know, don't get me wrong. New England is a really good team, so it wasn't necessarily surprising. And Columbus definitely fought back. I mean, they got that 2-2 draw, even if the last goal was really wonky, bouncing off of Andrew Farrell like that. That was goal of the season. also hilarious. <laughs> um, oh, someone... So when Zardes and Farrell and Matt Turner collided with each other into the goal... At the you know as the ball was crossing the goal line, someone um, took that clip and they put the wee bowling noise over it <laughs> because they looked like bowling pins going down. So that was really funny. But yeah, I'm I'm just worried about Columbus. They're not they don't seem to be getting the results. And if you look back at their like really recent games, um, you know I think back to beating New York City FC, which was a big deal, but also it took like free kick magic from Lucas on because he scored both those free kicks in the span of, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, whatever it was to come from behind and get the win. So I think you can point to that and say, that's a little fluky. You see them struggling at home in front of all these home fans in this near perfect stadium environment. You see them struggling against new England 
They just struggled on the road against Austin. Before that, they lost on the road to Philly. And so it's kind of the reverse of like DC and Colorado, right? Like they are struggling with the bad teams or maybe not. I can say they're taking care of business because they beat Toronto and Chicago, but they're not hanging with the good teams. I think is the big difference here. That is a huge, um, that that's the biggest disparity between a team like Colorado and DC and Columbus is Colorado and DC can hang, but Columbus is struggling right now. Luckily for them, they get Cincinnati right before this little mini international break. So I would be shocked if Cincinnati got a result against Columbus. Now, if Cincinnati do get a draw or beat Columbus, I think we maybe need to start being a lot more worried about the crew because it doesn't get any easier for them. They've got New York city twice in four games. They got to play Nashville. Who's never easy to play against. Um, they've got a freebie against Atlanta in Atlanta. So that's good for them. Um, I, I got scheduled to work that day, so I'm not going to that game. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise and I don't have to watch Atlanta get embarrassed in person and I can just watch from afar. Uh, but yeah, so uh, these next few weeks, I mean, I guess for really the month of July, like all that's left for this month, these last five games could make or break Columbus season, honestly, at this point, because they're not out of it by any means. Uh, they're technically tied on points with DC up in sixth and they have a better points per game. But the fact that they've gotten off to the slow start is is just super worrisome to me. What about you, Drew? Who's the team that you are most worried about between these three? Portland, Atlanta, Columbus. Yeah, I'm going to say close to home, and I'm going to say Atlanta is the team I am most worried about. Um, they have gone three, oh, even more than three. They've gone five matches, six matches without <laughs> getting a win. Um, and in MLS, they only have one win, if I am doing my math. They have two wins. They beat Montreal off that last second, Marcelino Moreno header. And I'm totally blanking on Chicago. the other win. Chicago. Oh, oh, great. They beat Chicago once, so that's good. Couldn't do it twice. But, yeah. So, Atlanta, I mean, I think in this spectrum of the Atlanta United season, I think it was, it's been up and down, right? They started off with a nil-nil draw against Orlando, which I think people were kind of okay with because Orlando's expected to be really good. They're living up to the hype. It was the first game under a new manager, getting a point on the road against one of the better teams in the league. That's cool. That's fine. Wonderful. Beat up on Chicago. Return to normalcy, right? The 2018, the 2017 team, it's back. You know, it's the same style play. It's exciting. It's fun. We're scoring three goals a game, whatever. Um, And Philadelphia Champions League gets knocked out, whatever. It's fine. Um, and then kind of in this international break, they ended, first off, they beat Montreal, tied Seattle, which out of those two games, getting four points is phenomenal. Um, and then we had the, the spurt of blowing two goal leads, blew it against Nashville, blew it against Philadelphia, which I guess at least in that stretch of games, at least there was a positivity of they're scoring goals, they're scoring goals, they scored two back-to-back games, just Seal the deal, don't take any mental breaks, and you'll be fine, win 2-0. And now we've gone three games in a row, and they haven't scored a single goal. They lost 1-0 to New York City. They lost, they drew New York Red Bulls 0-0 and just got absolutely thumped by Chicago 3-0. And they come to Nashville Thursday, So and they play New England. So it doesn't get really easy for them over the next two games. They do get Cincinnati, which normally would feel like a free three points, but honestly, I have no idea anymore. <laughs> if you're losing 3-0 to Chicago, I'm not sure what you're going to do against Cincinnati. That might be a game to watch in a very unfortunate way, and that it might be really close and really fun, um, but not a good stress for Atlanta. And I, I'm concerned about them, not because I think, I mean, you always have to manage expectations under a new manager. Obviously, Joseph's still kind of getting in the thick of things. And also, this seems losing so many players between injuries between you know i think barco's going to argentina for olympics you have gold cup you have miles goose and george bello so who the heck's gonna play defense no one really knows um guzan has been the bright spot i think we'd love to roast brad guzan on this pod well connor likes the roast brad guzan on this podcast but he's been pretty good but that's about it him and brooks lynn have been the only hope for atlanta united as of late so I'm concerned about them. Uh, it's getting rough, and they're going to lose some players. It's going to get even harder. So out of the three teams, I'm most concerned about Atlanta United because 
it's not been good when they've had all their players and they're about to lose all their players. And I have no idea how they're going to make this thing click. Yeah, in the time um, since we've recorded, I went to the Red Bulls game. Um, and I've been to, I've actually been to every Atlanta, New York Red Bulls game that's had fans. Um, remember when Caden Clark scored his first goal against us? That was in Atlanta, but fortunately no one was able to watch it in person. Um, but, I, but I've seen every other Red Bulls game. I, I saw the first one. I saw, um, you know, that what I still to this day think is the worst Atlanta United game ever um, when they lost that 3-1 loss in May of 2018. You know, I saw the playoff game, which was probably, no, it was Atlanta United's best game ever on the flip side of that. Um, even in 2019 when the team was, you know, not itself and still struggling under Frank DeBoer, they got a, it was a fun game. It was a 3-3 draw. Um, even if we conceded at the very end, dude, this game sucked. It was brutal. <laughs> it was brutal. And it occurred to me that this is the only Atlanta United match that I've attended and the score been nil nil. Now I've been to 40 something games at this point, close to 40, if not 40. And yes, there was a nil nil result against Columbus in the playoffs that first season, but, and I think you were there, Drew, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like a nil-nil game because one, the atmosphere was awesome. Two, it was Atlanta United's first ever playoff game. And three, it was like the most exciting 0-0 game I've still to this day witnessed in soccer. There were so many great chances, like goal line clearances, like you name it, this game had it all. So I don't really count that. This game, man, it was brutal. It sucked. It was so bad. And I felt really bad because I had a friend, um, she didn't go to the game with me. She went to the game with a mutual friend, but I ran into them on the concourse and that was her first LA United experience. And we ended up hanging out, um, after the game. And I was like, so, you know, how'd you like your first game? And, and she was like, is it always like that like, <laughs> where nobody scores? And I was like, you know, funny thing about that. That's the first time I've ever seen it. I've been to a lot of games. So it was, uh, it just sucked. It was like one of the most like unfulfilling experiences in terms of a sporting event I've ever experienced in my life. Um, so that just, it sucks, man. And like you said, this team is so thin and it's only going to get thinner. And the front office has done a horrendous job of building this team to survive something like this. So I, I think I'll go ahead and say this now. I don't think Atlanta are making the playoffs this year. I just... They couldn't, they, at the beginning of the season, it was, okay, they've got to adjust under Heinze, and they were kind of doing a good job of that, and then injuries hit, and then now it's injuries and the international break, and the team is still not adjusted to Heinze, and so I think by the time the team does start to click, because I do think it will happen eventually, it's going to be too late for them, so it's just super disappointing, especially for a team that caught fire in the city, um, and that's the funny thing about the Hawks, right, like, People are getting so invested in the sporting team, and it reminded me of what it was like for Atlanta United in 2017 and 2018 when they were just so much fun to watch. Even even when they were losing, even when they were even when they were winning and getting scored on a lot, nobody cared because it was always a fun game. You're always going to get entertained. Um, so that's disappointing. Speaking of a team not making the playoffs, as in this is a team we pretty much all predicted we're going to finish towards the bottom of the table and have so far been extremely wrong. But to be fair, a lot of people have been wrong about this team. The LA Galaxy are still hanging strong up in that top three. So we're continuing with this trend of uh, sort of surprises this season, especially compared to our preseason predictions. They did lose to Sporting Kansas City over the weekend 2 nothing. Uh, really unfortunate result for them. They were definitely hanging in. I think they conceded both their goals in the last 10 minutes of the game. So disappointing for Galaxy. The reason why it was so good that they held on to the end is they were doing all this without Chicharito. And coming into this, they beat Vancouver 2-1. They beat San Jose in the uh, Cali Classico 3-1. They lose this one, but obviously the biggest news is Chicharito missing with a calf injury. It looks like he's not going to be able to go for this next game. I believe they play tomorrow night on Wednesday night. Uh, so, yes, they do play tomorrow night on Wednesday night. Uh, so he's not going to be able to go for that. Hopefully he'll be healthy after this mini international break. Drew, can the Galaxy still win without Chicharito? So I'll go ahead and ask straight up, can they beat Dallas tomorrow night? And if Chicharito is out, let's say another three games, 
You've got three games on the road, Vancouver, RSL, Dallas. Can the Galaxy keep winning even with Chicharito injured? I think so because obviously it's a hit. And, yeah, I was looking at – I'm looking at an article from Daily, Daily News right now that um, the writer pretty much says barring a ridiculous comeback, he's not going to play. Um, but if you look at who they play, I think is what gives me hope that they can continue to win without him. Dallas Dallas is just confusing. Man, I put money on the Revolution to beat Dallas because it seemed like a surefire thing. Top of the East against bottom of the West. It's trap and game, dude. MLS became MLS, and Dallas won the game. So, Dallas, you owe me a dollar. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, Dallas, obviously a struggling side. Um, and they play Vancouver. Vancouver is struggling. RSL. Um, pretty decent team. They play Dallas again. So again, I don't know the full extent of Chicharito's injury and how long this he's going to be out. Obviously, super important. Currently leading the league in ten goals scored. I know he's leading the Golden Boot. I think he has ten goals on the season, which has been this phenomenal, miraculous comeback. Which I think we've even talked about before. I never thought I'd be pulling for this guy, just given the Mexico-U.S. tension. But seeing his return to normal Chicharito status after a really rough 2020 is pretty phenomenal to see. Um, but I think they can still win without him. I think if he's going to be injured at any point in the season, this is the time to be injured because the games are not too daunting of opponents to think that you need him to win. Um, now, after that, they get Portland RSL again. They play Vancouver a lot. So after this stretch of games, it gets a little bit harder playing you know, Colorado, LAFC, Seattle, teams like that. Austin, Austin looks like they're a pretty solid side right now. So I think... In the short term, with this stretch of games that they have, I say yes, LA Galaxy can continue to win without Chicharito. Now, being on the road doesn't help because MLS on the road is wild. But I'm pretty confident that the Galaxy can win these next couple games without Chicharito. Yeah, I don't think they can win without Chicharito. I don't think they can score goals without Chicharito. I mean, they haven't shown that they can yet. They need someone else to step up in his absence. And it's not going to be um, Ethan Zubak. Zubek? Zubek. Ethan Zubek. Um, that's not really his game. Even though he's a striker, scoring goals is not really his thing. It's more, you know, helping another striker in a two-striker system or, you know, something along those lines. Um, so, assuming, you know, let's assume Chicharito does miss the next four games, I would be surprised if the Galaxy got more than four points from the next four games if, if Chicharito cannot go. Um, if he's back in time after the break and he's able to play against Vancouver and RSL and Dallas, um, then I think Galaxy stand a good chance of winning maybe two of these next four games. But, I mean, guys like Kevin Cabral and uh, Samuel Grancier, I mean, these dudes are not picking up the slack. And they have to pick up the slack if the Galaxy even stand a chance of sustaining what has been a good start to the season. So I'm not convinced that they can do it. I, I just think they rely too much on Chicharito. Yeah, I think speaking to your point about that, the Galaxy currently have 15 goals in the season. Ten of them have come from Chicharito. Two from Sacha Kleschen, one from Jonathan Dos Santos, one from Sebastian Legette. So Yeah, Kleschen and Dos Santos, those guys are not scoring that often. So that might be all the goals the Galaxy get out of those two dudes this season. So like I said, man, Cabral and Grancier, I mean, these are guys that they brought in this, this summer, this season, I should say. Uh, you know, to produce, and these are wingers. Like, these guys have to start doing something at some point or else it's going to set back what Greg Vanny wants for his team long-term. By the way, I so badly wish Connor was on this episode because I want to talk to him about how he feels about Greg Vanny, especially compared <laughs> to Chris Armis. Like, I, I, want, I want the Connor thoughts about all that. So we'll get him from, uh, you know, either next episode or the episode after that, but especially this week, like right after it's happened. Um, I really wish we could get that. Uh, moving on, though, to our goal of the week and player of the week and which game to watch uh, midweek, um, even though by the time this episode comes out, it'll probably be past that, but that's okay. We'll definitely still talk about it. Uh, Drew, what is your goal of the week from this past weekend? Yeah, I had a lot to choose from when eight goals happened in a game, but I went with another game with the Red Bulls against Orlando City. Christian Casper's junior's goal against Orlando. I think the Red Bulls won that game 2-1. to one. I don't know if this is the first or second goal, but it was a banger, kind of outside the box, left-footed curler, I think. 
It was a good one, so I went with that one of my goal of the week. Josh, who got you, you went with the eight goal thriller. So you you picked uh, from the Apple. You got one of the best goals I think games will see this season. But out of those eight goals, which one did you pick between DC and Toronto? Yeah. So to be quite honest with you, I don't really remember the goals because one, they're happening so fast, and then two, it was also occurring at the same time that Atlanta United and the Hawks were playing. So my attention was definitely mostly on the Hawks and didn't want to give any attention to United. Um, Man, it's they, funny how that's flipped. I know, right? Like <laughs> Two years ago, that would have been the weirdest sentence ever. Even, well, I was going to say a year ago, but that's when MLS is back. But yeah, you're right. Two years ago, that <laughs> two years ago, I went to an Atlanta United match and they were still doing that deal where you could go to the Hawks game right after and get in for like 10 bucks. And me and my brother <laughs> got like third row seats like halfway through the Hawks game. Um, so that is very funny Man, how much th- that's flipped. To watch the Hawks for years. 10 bucks right now. Golly, that would be a dream. Yeah, I looked at those playoff tickets, and it was <laughs> not uh, ten bucks. Seven, 17 <laughs> times that for the cheapest, uh, cheapest tickets. But So there were a lot of goals, obviously, in that D.C.-Toronto game. I picked the first one for a couple reasons. One, so this was Kevin Paredes in the second minute. So I liked it, first of all, because it set the tone for the rest of the game. You could tell DC were out for blood from the minute the whistle blew. And then I also like this goal because this is a young teenager and the finish was very good. Um, It was really tight angle. And he, uh, if I remember correctly, he kicked it up into the top of the net from that tight angle. So I was really impressed with with the finish. And again, also just setting the tone for the rest of the game. So Kevin Predis is my goal of the week. Moving on to player of the week, I'll give mine since uh i've got the votes uh i picked ignacio aliceta for his two goal performance against atlanta united uh this is a u22 winger for chicago if he gets going for them they might be able to make a run at the playoffs kind of towards the end of the season he could definitely be key for them i picked uh, patrick clamala as my second choice he had a goal and an assist in that really big 2-1 win over orlando he plays for new york red bulls um player of the week this week ended up being none of these guys though or was it aliceta it was aliceta okay so i did end up helping pick aliceta Uh, i was surprised at the varying degree of answers though from from our colleagues but drew who was your player of the week yeah i went with tejon buchanan um he kind of tried to help spoil the party with columbus's new phenomenal stadium um, he had a goal and an assist in that one. I think he, they went up. His his goal was the one that sent them up 2-0. looked like they were going to ride home. And this was a pretty big game between two. At the beginning of the season, what we thought would be two really good teams, a new stadium, but Columbus has kind of fallen off. And the Revolution have picked up the steam and picked up the hype that was on them before the season. Um, but he got a goal and assist. Obviously, that got canceled out by pretty weird rest of the game between some crazy goals that were scored we should have picked uh that one goal i guess i don't even know who got credit for the goal between the revs and columbus with the giassi zarda's bowling pin push um but yeah so i went to tejan buchanan he got a goal and assist against the crew and that one pretty big game um but getting to games to watch like you said uh there's a it's pretty crazy time in mls right now with a bunch of midweek games so by the time listeners hear this uh the games will probably already have happened but nonetheless we'll talk about them but josh what is your game to watch for this next upcoming week of mls i went with austin fc hosting lafc austin uh, like we mentioned earlier coming off that huge 4-1 home win against portland um portland are no scrubs um even if they are struggling just a little bit or starting to struggle but i am very curious to see if Austin FC can build off of such a huge home result because they've got the atmosphere. They've got the fans. Uh, for the most part, they have the players. The team is, is I think, constructed well. But up until this point, they've struggled with scoring. So for them to break out and win 4-1 was huge. Now, they get to host LAFC, who are no scrubs. Um, and LAFC is kind of, sort of, starting to get it going. Um, they are other than the Sporting Kansas City loss. Uh, they do have two wins in their last three matches, and they've got seven points from the last four matches. So that's not bad. Um, so I'm I'm very interested to see, and that's going to be Wednesday night at 9 p.m. 
Um, so I just want to know who's going to emerge from this as like a for real legitimate um, team that is trying to build some sort of consistency. Also, maybe Austin wants to get revenge for that opening day 2 nothing win that LAFC had on them. Who knows? Um, and they played LAFC pretty well in that first game, so that could make this matchup pretty interesting. What's your game to watch this week, Drew? Yeah, and before, I can't believe I didn't mention this, but for my goal of the week, I wish I should have said the women's national team's goal against Mexico that got oh called off. Gosh. That was phenomenal. That was a piece of art. That was like a literal work of art. That gift that got shared today on Twitter, I, I, every time it shows up in my feed, I watch it like on loop like five times. It is chef's kiss. So oh good. my gosh. So that should have been the goal. I think that's the assumed goal that never was of the week. Um, but that was phenomenal. So yes, I had to mention that because that was a phenomenal piece of soccer. Um, but my game to watch this week, uh, I went with the Red Bulls against Philadelphia. Um, I think it is on see, it is on Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Time. So for you East East Coast East Coasters, I think that's 8 p.m. I'm still getting used to the time. But yeah, New York, Philadelphia um, on Thursday. Um, between in this little playoff bubble that I think the Rebels are in right now, it's pretty congested. So if results break their way and they get a win here, they could move up to as high as third. Um, the Philadelphia currently sitting in third with 19 points. The Rebels have 16 points. So it's a pretty congested middle of the pack here in the Eastern Conference. So if the Rebels do get a win, it'll be a pretty big one as they kind of try and surprise some people. I think we all thought they were a pretty young team and it was going to take some time to adjust. And they haven't really had that issue. They've been a really good team and are trying to make the playoffs. So I went with the Red Bulls in Philadelphia as my game to watch this week. Um, and as games happen this week, please, again, visit MLSMultiplex.com as our writers crank out really awesome content to cover the games as they happen, get reactions, previews, and things like that. So be sure to visit the website, MLSMultiplex.com. You can follow the website at Twitter at MLS Multiplex to see stories as they come out and see reactions on social media. And you can visit all of us on social media, myself at underscore Drew Hubbard, Josh at Josh underscore Boland, and Connor at CWG Somerville. So give us a visit on Twitter to see stories and MLS reactions. And again, visit the website um, to check out some really awesome stories. And please leave a review on the podcast. We love hearing ways of how we can get better and how we can improve. So thank you guys so much for listening. Again, we will be back next week as games continue to happen. So thanks again so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com. At Sleep Outfitters Outlet, great sleep is a big deal. Save 40 to 60% every day on every Sealy, Stearns & Foster, and Tempur-Pedic. Queens as low as 249 Customer exchanges, closeouts, and floor samples. Inventory changes daily, so come in for your dream deal today. With no credit needed financing, expert advice, and up to 60% off retail, it's never been easier to get the sleep and savings you deserve. Go to sleepoutfittersoutlet.com for financing details and to find a store near you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.